And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and a man became a living being. And man became a living being. So in all that God created, the supernovas, the black holes, stars that are a thousand times bigger than our sun, everything he made, the comets, everything, the microscopic world, all of it, and all that he made, man, men and women, we're told in chapter 1, were created in his image. We are, of course, separate and distinct from the animal kingdom. That's why if you act like animals, it's not a good thing. Because we're the only created being in the universe that has the cognitive capacity to understand God, his revelation to us, and to reciprocate his love as a creator to us and return that love to him and the capacity to worship him. That's not in the animal kingdom. So he formed man of the dust. Now he spoke all other creation in existence. So when you go home and see your dog tonight or your cat or the neighbor's dog that drives you nuts or whatever, know this, he spoke all the species on the planet, each of their own kind, your flies, your ants, everything. He spoke those into existence in time, space, and matter. But he formed you and I. We are descendants from Adam and Eve. And he formed Adam first, and then Eve, we'll see, from his side. He formed us because he made us in his image. We are so special before God, the human race, that he sent his son to come die on the cross for us to deliver us from the death and destruction we brought upon ourselves, the DNA of our reproduction, what we were doing to this planet which was entrusted to us, and what we've done to all creation. For Romans 8 tells us that the entire creation, the entire universe under the death sentence of Adam's sin is groaning for the day of redemption when Christ will make the new heaven and new earth at the completion of his millennial reign, most likely it would seem in the scriptures. Either way, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. Man is the crown jewel. In fact, if you've not thought about this, because God said, let us make man in our image. In the genealogy of Luke chapter 3, tracing Jesus' genealogy through Mary, it goes the son of, the son of, the son of, and it goes all the way back to Adam, and the last thing it says is, Adam, do you know what it says? the son of God. Adam, the son of God. We have no concept, truly, of how great Adam and Eve were in the garden before sin. But tonight, we're going to talk about it because it's Superman and Wonder Woman. Without sin, the way it was, and we're moving towards something that's even greater with the way it's going to be. Because God just doesn't remodel the Dean Carr, it's a new model that's coming. Our glorified bodies in a new heaven and a new earth. From this glory that was lost, it's not equal, it's a greater glory. He formed him. And you think about this, from the dust we came, the dust we returned, and we know that we will go back to the dust. We basically left alone, die in the desert, you'll be dust, literally, to the dust. And it is no coincidence that in the Old Testament, we're referred to as the clay and God is the potter. And even as uh, a potter would make different objects out of clay, they would be unique and he might mold it and break it down. But in the end, it's a work of art. Now we're told in Jesus Christ in Ephesians 2.10 that we're his work of art. 
And we're told that we have this treasure of Christ, when we give our life to Christ, in earthen vessels. And we're also told that, in a sense, we're cracked pots. He cracks the pot so the glory can be seen. We are literally formed from the dust, the first man, and we return to the dust. And yet, when we give our life, we're born dead because of Adam's sin, so we're born spiritually dead and eternally condemned. For in Adam all sin and die. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we know when we receive Christ and we're born again that we're passing from death to life. And though the outward man or woman is perishing, dust, the inward woman or man is being renewed daily as we're going from glory to glory. And these light afflictions of the dust are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to come. That's amazing. Perhaps it's best summarized there in 2 Corinthians where it says we see dimly in a mirror, but we're being transformed from glory to glory. And so when we look in the mirror by faith at Jesus, we are not projecting dust and death on Jesus. He is projecting life and eternity and glory upon us. We are being transformed, as it says, from glory to glory. This treasure is in earthen vessels. See, left to ourselves, in Adam all sin and die. We came from the dust, and next chapter we'll see the consequence of how far reaching it is that fall. The grave taunts all humanity. It's an equal abuser for all humanity. With every person on this planet, give 100 years, as I mentioned recently, except for a few infants right now, within 100 years, all of us sharing this planet, presuming the planet's still here as we know it, and the Lord hasn't come back, we'll be gone, and we'll return to the dust. I've done a number of funerals. Some of you have been to those funerals. We've done some gravesides. You've been at the gravesides. We've seen caskets go on the ground from the dust we came, the dust we returned. But the dead in Christ rise when the trumpet sounded, and the dead in Christ will rise, and the trumpet of the Lord will sound. So we're not left to just be dust and a cracked pot with no life in it. But when we give our life to Jesus Christ, that life comes into us, and we truly are a pot on the wheel with the master. He is the potter, we are the clay. And our life is being molded and shaped to be a work of art, like Ephesians 2.10 says, our own unique of art that only we can be. There's no other work of art in eternity that's going to look like you. And I think that's wonderful. And I think it's beautiful. For as personal as God was in forming Adam and Eve in the beginning, he is still personal today. And David said it best in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made in my mother's womb I was made, and that my soul knows well. And the days were yet fashioned for me when there's yet there's none of them. They are written in your book, those days for me. So personal. Personal as fallen descendants of Adam, dead in sin, God is personal. But when we give our life to Christ, the redemption of the, of the purchased possession by the blood of Christ, we're redeemed back. And that life is in us. It's amazing. We should never, ever doubt the value of our lives being descendants of Adam and Eve and the personal nature of being a human being on planet Earth. And we most certainly need to value the life of all other human beings on planet Earth. Because even in a scar-marred world where there's all kinds of strange deformities and physical afflictions and the self-imposed consequences of sin or the consequences of sin that other people put upon them, we can never, ever get to a place where we look at people and don't see the divinity of creation in that human being. And we need to look at people and see the potential of what can take place in their life through the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit working in their life. They might be as dead as dust in the ground with what we see, but we need to look at them through the eyes of faith and see the potential of what Jesus Christ can do to make them a work of art for all eternity 
in his kingdom and in his house. God formed man of the dust, and he did it with purpose, and it's unique and personal for everybody. There's no one that's got your DNA. There's no one like you. Then we see in verse 8, the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow, that it's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So here we have God formed us in, in his image from the dust, and here God plants us. God planted Adam. He gave him placement. He gave him pleasant things, and he gave him choices. Isn't that life? He gave him placement. Pleasant things and choices. He planted a garden and he put him in the garden. So he prepared a place for him and put him in that place. And in that place, there was pleasant things and good things. Now, when we look at the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts, and they went out preaching, when they preached to Jews, they preached from the scriptures. They had preached from the Old Testament scriptures because in the synagogue, the Jews would have that knowledge. But when they preached publicly to the pantheistic, even atheistic, Greek background, Roman background, whatever philosophies of men might have devoid of any knowledge of God as he revealed himself through his scriptures, they preached God of creation, God of order. In fact, it was a crucial tenet of Romans chapter 1 that God holds all humanity accountable through creation, that he holds people to understand there's a creator when they look at creation, a beautiful sunset, a lazy river, whatever it might be. But in their preaching, particularly Paul, he emphasized placement. Now, our universe is time, space, and matter. So your body of dust, that's the matter, and you do matter, literally. You are matter, and you matter. That's the dust. This is time, space, and matter. This is time and space. For he formed the times and seasons. We saw that in chapter 1. And on a clock, which is still going right now, in the year of our Lord, right now, July 13th, 2019, we're just a, a day planner farther down the road than the one Adam had. He was in our time range and in our time realm. God determined his time. That was his time. See, Adam couldn't determine the time. God formed him from the dust. And then he determined his placement, Eden. He put him in the garden. Now, when Paul was preaching in Athenians to the Athenians, he emphasized to his audience that God predetermined our times when we would live and our boundaries. So Paul preached and affirmed Genesis 2 in his preaching to non-Jewish background people, the Gentiles, to understand that God had determined that they were Greek and they lived in Athens and they lived during the time uh, of Roman conquest and, you know, 20 years after Christ ascended from the grave. He also preached at another time where he emphasized that he's always blessed us. He's been good to us. He gave us the rains for our crops and the food to eat, which is consistent again because he put man in the garden and he gave him pleasant things. The plants were pleasant to the eye and good for the food. You don't normally think of plants being pleasant to the eye if you think about it, they are. When someone has a beautiful tropical yard and garden, it's like it's beautiful, especially when it's tended. And remember, we're told here, Adam was a gardener. That was one of his three stewardships. He was a gardener, he was a zoologist, and he was a husband. Those are the three stewardships that God gave him in chapter two. Placement for all humanity all the ethnicities, the two genders, placement. 
the first cell, we talked about this, that first cell is everything you're going to be, and it reproduces and reproduces in the womb, and in the ninth week, in the first trimester, then the second trimester, then the third trimester. And within that one cell, the ability to not only be a human being, but to reproduce other human beings based upon your gender and your role in the reproduction of human beings. It's all there. I mean, the incredible design and order of God's universe focused on humanity. He gave placement, and he gave timing, and he gave pleasant things, and he gave choices. He placed the man in the garden, and he gave him pleasant things good things. And again, the book of Acts tells us in Paul's preaching, whether someone living for the Lord or living for themselves believes in Jesus, rejects Jesus, God has placed them and he's given them good things. So he's formed us to be unique and personal and he's planted us with pleasant things and choices because there in that garden, because we're created for love and God is love, he's given the capacity to obey or disobey. And thus we have the choice. We have to have a choice because love always has a choice. You cannot make someone love you. So the tree of life is there. We have no concept of how beautiful the tree of life was and what Superman and Wonder Woman were like with the tree of life before they became Adam and Eve in the fall. Oh, we know the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We know the first time you were a kid and something really sick happened that made you feel sick in the stomach from sin. Something you did the big lie you told, something you stole from a store. Maybe your parent was unfaithful to another parent and you were aware of it and it crushed you. There was a divorce. There was infidelity. There was a tragedy. Oh, we know. We know the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can only go so far before you know the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And your kids can only go so far before they know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Jesus Christ died on a tree to save us from the curse of the tree, that we might be restored to the tree of life, because in the last two chapters of the Bible, again, the tree of life is there, and it's restored to the redeemed, where there's no more tears and sorrow. Jesus came. The trees are the focal point. Knowledge of good and evil, there has to be a choice to rebel against God, because we're self-determined under his sovereignty. And there's a tree of life. You can have, in him is life, and the life is the light of men, or there's a knowledge of good and evil. Like Moses said before he stepped into eternity, I set before you two choices, life and blessings or death and curses. And that's exactly what those trees in the garden are. They're the same. There's nothing new under the sun in that sense. We're self-determined. We make choices. We see God's sovereignty over things, and yet he lets us be self-determined beings as being sons and daughters of God. Adam, the son of God. The first Adam, all sin and die. But where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more with the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So the beauty of the redemption of the cross is that the blood can cover the mistakes we've made at the, through the tree of knowledge of good and evil or the effects of the tree of knowledge of good and evil on our physical bodies. And the redemption is at hand. And there's a glory to come. Placement, pleasant things. And there again, you see time and space because it's the time we're made and the space we're put in. Here we are in time, space, and matter. Time, this day, space, Orange County, matter who you are and this brief journey we call life. No wonder both Solomon and James called life that this life is but a, you know the word, vapor. Both Solomon and James said that. So now we pick up a third thing. We go to verse 15, back on man after discussing the four rivers that flow from Eden. 
Verse 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. So there is the passage that gives us the clear choice of self-determination. We cannot change yesterday. That's the reality of the human experience. We know that we can never go back. But we can be in the moment, and we can apply grace to the day with faith for tomorrow. That's what we can do. We can't undo the self-determined choices that were bad choices in our life that preceded this day. We might be able to tell someone we're sorry. We might be able to try and make restitution. You know, my sister was gone. Well, of course, my sister's been sober now for two years. She's told me I'm free to talk about her anytime from the pulpit. So I, I share these stories because a lot of people come to me and, uh, from the radio and say they have people like my sister in their life. When my sister got off the streets after five years of drugs and alcohol and all that stuff, and part of her um, getting back in society, you know, you know, and all the programs, just making restitution and making things right. Well, one of the things she did when she was on drugs and living on the streets is she stole from her son. And she stole the silver bar that my dad had given him, his grandfather, and it was worth about $900 or something. And as she got back in society, she's in a halfway home. She's taking public transportation. She still is. It'll be another year before she gets her license back, uh, which is a good thing because a couple DUIs and a 2.2 blood alcohol level, they should think about it for a long time before they're driving again. And she'll be the first one to tell you that. But one of the first restitutions she had to do, she had that job at Macy's and she got that first bit of money. She hadn't seen her son for years and he didn't want to see her, which is how those things work sometimes, Jimmy, cousin Jimmy. But she had money to give Jimmy. She made restoration. So some things we can go back, you know, like you can say you're sorry, but some people are gone and some things you just can't do. But that's why we come under the blood and under the cross and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Our self-determination Hopefully we make more good decisions than bad decisions, and hopefully our life as we go forward is more good decisions than bad decisions, and we're sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, like I shared earlier from Romans 5. But you can't, you can't go back. So we got to go forward applying faith and confidence in the Lord. Because we wake up every day with two trees, to obey the Lord and go to the tree of life, for Jesus is life and light, and him is the, the light of men. Hey, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly, Jesus said. And it's a spiritual life and it's an eternal life. And he wants us to wake up and pursue that tree, him. Or we can wake up and we can be frivolous and slothful and we can fall into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The knowledge of the tree of good and evil is easy to see. It's right in front of you in the mirror. The tree of life, it, it, it has to be sought for. We need to seek, knock, and ask. We need to, to pursue the Lord to really be at that tree of life. But he's there every day for us. His mercies are new every morning. So the application on this is like, hey, go after the good tree. Apply the cross to the past for what you cannot change and go after the good tree for what is in front of you by which we can make choices each day and hopefully more good ones than bad ones. Some days I just want to beat myself up so bad for the day before, and I just have to tell myself, his mercies are new every morning, and with the merciful, he'll show himself merciful. So I try and just be super merciful to everybody because I know I need the mercy, and you do too. Amen?
Yeah, okay. So we read on. Now the fourth thing we see, that purpose here. So there's that choice. We talked about that, but it's all there. It's kind of collectively together, but again, he formed us, he planted us, he gave us the choices of self-determination, and then there's purpose. So to tend the garden. So he put him in the garden to tend it. This is vertical. Okay, so he's under authority. So he's got a purpose. I told you he's got tending, zoology, and marriage. Quite a mix that he had in the pre-fallen world. God put him in the garden to tend it, and he commanded him, don't eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil. You have, the, you have the freedom to, but you're commanded not to. So we see that Adam is under authority. In time, space, and matter, he's under authority and he has a purpose, and we have a purpose. And as we're under his authority, he's going to show us what to do. We all have stewardships. We've done many studies on this. We have accountability. We are under authority. To be in authority, one must be under authority. And if we want to function with the authority of the Lord, it's really important that we're under the authority of the Lord. It's just so critical to understand that we have purpose, or as we might say, mission with the Lord. And he's planted us. So he's formed us, he's planted us, and he's given us choice, but he's given us a purpose. We all have purpose, and ultimately our purpose, I've been saying this many times over and over, our purpose is to know Jesus, which most of us do, and our purpose is then to fulfill his call in our life as best we can discern it on a daily basis in a broad perspective as days become weeks and months and years. And if he says, move here, you move there. If he says, let go of this job, let go of this job. Our lives belong to the Lord with purpose. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, this is not good in the sense of a, it's not a moral not good. It's a positional not good. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable. This is fascinating to me because this all happened on the sixth day. And you say, now, how did this happen on the sixth day? Very easily. Because first of all, God made all the animals in the first part of the sixth day. Then he makes Adam. Here's Adam. And he's Superman. His brain is the greatest computer that you could ever imagine. It, the capacity of his brain is off the charts. Now think about this. If we're so degenerated 6,000 years later that we can put a lunar module on the moon, a Jeep on Mars, and figure out how to split an atom and blow each other up, can you imagine what the first brain was like without sin? Under only the influence of the tree of life and under the Lord. This brain was a supercomputer. And God brought the animals, and they're, they're collectively in their kinds. So you can go to the San Diego Zoo and do a tour in six hours or less, depending on how fast you move, you know, the various reptiles and this and that. And God brought them, and Adam's there. And you think Iron Man or these superheroes have these super skills? Forget that. He's just like, da, 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 da. his super brain, doom, 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 doom. And it served a purpose. It wasn't just to name the animals because, of course, they have different names in different languages even now, right? Tigra. Espanol, tiger, English, right? I mean, pajero, bird, bird, right? They have to, you know, so he named them. And what language did he name them in anyways? Right? Was it like tongues, the heavenly tongues? I mean, who knows? But here's what happened. God brought those animals to him. His supercomputer mind is just database downloading like a supercomputer, dot, 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 dot. And something had to have happened where God already said it was not good he's alone. He doesn't know he's alone. He doesn't know he's incomplete yet. But when you see every animal come to you, maybe a male lion and a female lion, 
Hmm. Gender? Hmm. Male, female, zebra, whatever, each after its own kind. You see twos and you're a one. In naming the animals and fulfilling his role as a zoological role, if you will, these animals are under his authority because he already said in chapter one he has dominion over the animals. Think of all the species we've wiped out, including all the dragons. Dinosaurs were called dragons until 150 years ago. And as he named these animals, suddenly that cognitive capacity is there. Now, it's been proven in studies that human beings can feel the emotion of loneliness in the onset of anywhere from 30 seconds to one minute, extreme, the fullest sense of the emotion of loneliness when they've been told someone's passed away they love or someone just left them to get on a plane. The emotion of loneliness has been proven scientifically that its peak value can be initiated within 30 seconds in the human experience. So here's Adam looking at all these animals and realizing that he's not complete. And it was not good. And God allowed him to know the awareness that it was not good. Superman needs Wonder Woman. And he's alone. And in naming the animals, he would have realized it. And that awareness of that he's alone in the garden. And he does not have his mate. The female of the human race. And so we read on. And by the way, what a lesson. See, God will do things in our life, and we can't miss this. He will let you name animals to teach you you're incomplete. He's always teaching us in different experiences of life, and he'll let you do things, and he'll allow things in your life to teach us and teach you and me that we're incomplete without his handiwork over our life. So it might just be like, why do I have this job where I'm counting and naming the animals? Because you're going to learn something of a need that, is incomplete in your life that I'm going to fulfill. Because if you drink from this water, you'll thirst again, but your fulfillment's going to come from me. That's a powerful lesson. What are you saying, Joy? I'm saying God was teaching Adam lessons to look to him, to be aware of his need, and that God would meet that need the moment he was made alive in the garden. That's what I'm saying. We read on verse 21, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from him, from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Girls, he was the perfect man. And guys, she was the perfect woman. We cannot relate to this experientially or really even emotionally, I don't think. Maybe some of us have great memories of our wedding night or something that can come close. But Adam, the Superman with the supercomputer, with perfect DNA, no sin in him, was made. And from his side, in his sleep, the Lord brought his wife. The word for side here, translated rib, is not, in all their translations or all their placements of the word, it is not translated rib, it's side. So it seems to be implied it's rib, but it's not completely sure. She came from his side, not from his head and not from his feet, as they always say. 
from his sight. Now, think about this. Adam was under authority in tending the garden. He was in authority in the zoological responsibilities of naming the animals. And now, in his third ministry with his wife, they are in joint authority. They're side by side in their authority. They're in the garden together. It's their garden to tend together. It's their animals to name together. It's their life experience to share together as a husband and a wife. They're in it together, naked and unashamed. Jesus points us to this passage. Again, there, when questioned about divorce, he said, have you not read how it was in the beginning, how he made them male and female? Well, God has joined together, let no man separate. God brought Eve to Adam. And he said, this is woman. And then he called her Eve. She came from his side. And he was complete. God meets our every needs. And in the need for Adam at this point in his life was Eve, the woman. And he brought her to him. And God meets our every need. And for all those that aren't married, because you can go home and say, man, I need to be a better husband, better wife. Good, I agree. Obvious application. Be everything you can be as a spirit-filled man or woman in your marriage. But some of you aren't married. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are widowed or whatever. But, you know, in the New Testament, we're told, whether we're widows or divorcees or whatever, that, again, we can't undo the past. We can only go to the tree of life for today and tomorrow. But we're married to Jesus, that's why he's called the groom and the church is called the bride because he's the groom and we're the bride. As the human race stands, the redeemed human race, under covenant, the church, we are identified as the bride of Christ and we're his bride and he's the groom and he's coming for us in glory. And it's not yet revealed, but when he comes in his glory, we will share in his glory. Superman, there he is. Who knows how tall he might've been because giants are referred to were 12 foot long beds there in uh, the book in Numbers and the Pentateuch in the Old Testament. We'll get to that on Tuesday nights later on as we go forward in this book from Genesis in these five books of Moses. You know, think about it. You have elephants that were way big, the mammoths, and you have elephants that are this big now. You have Clydesdales that are this big and you have Shetland ponies that are like this. We all come from the same gene pool for each species of our kind and we're human beings. Adam, every human being, we're told through Genesis, comes through Adam and then Noah's three sons. He's a superhuman. He's Superman. I'm telling you, he's Superman. But the problem is, once sin entered, the thoughts and intents of man were only wicked. So can you imagine the supercomputer of man where all he thinks is evil? It's so bad. He's like a fallen angel. It's so bad that God says, I have to completely destroy him. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. They lived hundreds of years in a perfect, more perfect climate, but it was all degenerating. The human body's degenerating, the species is degenerating, the climate's degenerating, and then the flood and the post-flood world with the Ice Age, and then eventually Abraham about 500 years after that. They lived like 120, 130, down to 110, and then down to kind of where we're at now. If we can put Jeeps on Mars, can you imagine what Adam was capable of doing and Eve equally in her cognitive capacities? It's really something to ponder because it's a a fallen world that they fell from that. And I had two people ask me separately on Saturday night, when do you think sin entered? Because by the way, this is the honeymoon. This is the honeymoon. Adam and Eve 
Superman and Wonder Woman, no sin, naked with no shame, in the garden, under authority, in authority, co-authority. And everyone's eating plants. It's just so happy and perfect. It's just incredible. This is the honeymoon of the ages. And I had two different people ask me Tuesday night, when, how long do you think it happened before there was sin? I don't know how long it, it was, but I can tell you what, the honeymoon was over. As they say, the honeymoon was over. The honeymoon was over when they sinned. And I can tell you this, no, they had no children before sin. Because in Adam all sin and die. So we know that the first children, Cain and Abel, they were born with the sin DNA in them. There was no children ever born without sin. So however long they existed in time, space, and matter, Superman and Wonder Woman, without sin, no, they didn't uh, reproduce sons of gods, if you will, before sin. So probably less than a year, you might think. But just the whole, as we go through these first 10 chapters, 11 chapters, and on in the book of Genesis, it's just amazing to see like what was lost. But I close with this thought tonight, is that Jesus restores what's lost. And we got to come back to that. Because I can't be Superman, and my wife can't be Wonder Woman, but we can sure be the best we can be as sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And so can you, whether you're single or married. We can be all we can be. And know there's every good work, every work that God does in life is a good work. It's all a redemptive work. And everything he's doing is to restore us, not just to glory, this glory that was lost by Superman and Wonder Woman, but to a far greater glory. Because this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. And this mortal can put on immortal. And when we put it on, it's going to be more than what this was that we read in chapter 2. Eyes not seen nor ears heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him. And it's greater than anything that can be described to us in any, in any language of humanity. And we receive it by faith.